0: Welcome to uh, Redemption Peoria. My name is John. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. We're glad that you guys are here this morning. If you're new, Redemption is one church in 10 congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. We would love to connect with you. If you are new, the best way to do that, the best vehicle to do that is to fill out a Connect card. You can do that one of two ways. You can take a picture of this QR code and it'll kick you back a digital Connect card that you can fill out your information or you can go to the Connect desk and talk to a person and fill out your information. Again, the information is for us to connect with you no, nothing more. How can we serve you? How can we hear your story? Uh, that's the best first step to get connected if you're new here. Uh, the best way to stay connected is just to download our app. We don't hand out a bulletin. That's the best way we push our information out to our community, all the events, resources, things going on. Uh, you can download that at any app store. So if you're new and you want to know more about who we are and what's going on in the life of our community that's the best way to do that um, as i mentioned we are one church and ten congregations and i know many of us if we only come to the peoria location of redemption this is all kind of we know um, but with all the ten congregations there's people working behind the scenes all the time that actually benefit us here at peoria uh, and so there's been a recent transition in leadership within redemption church neil pitchell who has served faithfully for 30 years Uh, As our CFO has retired, and we have a new person coming on named Todd Hauge, and Neil has been so faithful in his service to us, even the reason we're able to sit in this room today is because of some of Neil's efforts and Redemption as a whole helping us, even financially, get into the space we're in today. So we're going to watch a short video. Again, I know you might not know some of these people, but Tyler Johnson, who's our lead pastor, he came and preached a couple of months ago. Neil, who actually is stepping down, the last time he preached was at Redemption Peoria, in the nehemiah series and so watch this five minute video and um take heart that we have a lot of people that are helping us in this effort called redemption church watch this
1: the scriptures talk about how the work of the gospel happens through the transition of generations and that we're supposed to transition these things to faithful and reliable individuals and i cannot tell you how encouraged i am how god continues to provide in this way. The transition of a faithful and reliable person like Neil to Todd, how he just shows me the graciousness of God to myself, um, to all of us, and to Redemption Church Arizona. I cannot express how much this man means to me. Uh, Neil Pitchell, to me, has been one of my closest friends in so many ways. He's been a mentor, but his care, his concern, his experience, and his expertise has served us so incredibly well. And we all want to participate in thanking Neil Pitchell for his service. And at the same time, we want to end by just thanking God for providing Todd Hauge. Um, It is proof positive that God will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or think. And we know that's true because as we look back God has done exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or think.
2: I have had the honor of serving as the pastor of Central Operations since planning began for the birth of Redemption Church in 2010. Since then I have been a member of Redemption Arizona's executive and lead teams while serving as a pastor and elder at the Gilbert Congregation. Although there will always be challenges, I am convinced that God has a bright future for Redemption Church. Each congregation is led by devoted pastors and elders who love and shepherd their congregations. The executive team, which promotes collaboration, coordination and alignment among the congregations, is doing an excellent job shaping the overall direction and culture of redemption. Thanks to God's faithfulness and your generosity, the church is in a healthy financial position to respond to future opportunities for personal and organizational growth of our church. I would like to thank you, the members and attendees of all of our congregations, for your commitment to our church through your serving, your giving, and your prayers. May we continue in all we do and say to give all glory to our great God and Savior. Thank you, and God bless.
3: My wife, Kathy, and I began attending Gateway seven years ago, and we promptly began to hear about Neil. We both heard of the trust and confidence in how the matters of the church were handled and the pastoral wisdom he provided people in their personal lives. I firsthand began to witness a servant's heart, humility, loyalty, careful stewardship, the trust he earned and the trust he had in our God and a conviction for redemption in the multi-congregational church it desired to be. In this transition, Neil has taken care to strike the perfect notes in how he was closing this chapter and leaving matters in the hands of others, and puts another exclamation mark on what we already know about Neil. It is one more task he has completed with truth and love. Many of you watching don't know me, and this isn't meant to be about me, but a few words for context. There's no other place I would rather be right now than at this part of the body of Christ. I have a, a broad business background, leadership roles in a variety of organizations, weighted towards terms financial focus. The seed for me to be in this role was planted by another pastor in another church in another state 10 years ago. I could not be more grateful to be here and take this hand off from Neil as redemption moves into the future. Thank you, Neil, for the race you've run well to this moment. Um, Everything about how you have run the race will have a lasting impact on those who have seen it firsthand and even those who have not. You have pointed us all to Jesus.
0: And again, I know you don't maybe know some of those faces, but um, I see them every week as a part of my role, as part of a redemption pastor, as a lead pastor. And so Um, And I think it's helpful for us to realize, man, we're, we're part of something bigger than just Peoria, and that it's good to see healthy leadership transition within the church. And so um, hopefully, even if, again, you don't know those people, uh, that was a gift to to help understand, man, what we're doing and and how redemption is continuing to move forward. So I wanted to share that with you. Uh, One other announcement before we jump into our text this morning is it is the first Sunday of the month. And every first Sunday of the month, we talk about our M25 initiative. If you're new, M stands for Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. 25 stands for chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus lays out some categories. He says, if you're going to follow me, then you need to love people that often are in the margins, that often get overlooked by culture and society. And he lists several different uh, categories of people in that time and still in our time today that get overlooked. And so we partner with organizations in our city every month that are doing the work of people that are sometimes in the margins to get overlooked. If you're out in the lobby, you see our M25 wall. And what we challenge people to do is give $25 a month that just comes out automatically. And then all of that money gets collected for the month and we give every to that organization that we partner with that's doing unbelievable work in the midst of our city and in the midst for the kingdom of God. And so uh, we would just challenge you, even if you're new, that, man, this is a great way to invest. We talked about investing and being rich towards God in the last series, the last four weeks. Uh, This investment is a treasure laid up um, in heaven and not on earth. And so the group that we are partnering with, the organization we're partnering with this month is uh, AZ Reach. So many of you know Juan Chavez. They were a part of our body Uh, For years uh, ago, he is now a resident at Alhambra getting ready to plant a redemption congregation in South Phoenix within the next year. He also leads AZ Reach, and what AZ Reach is, it's an organization for high school students uh, in inner city high schools, and Juan came out of an inner city high school. He came to Christ and got saved in that time, and he's gone back into the high school's And this guy just has unbelievable access and favor. The high schools are bringing him in and he's able to teach character building classes. And through the character building classes, he invites these young students, often that come from broken homes, um, low income, one parent families that are looking for somebody to invest in them. And he invites them to their home and they get to talk about Jesus. It's unbelievable. They have a program called Man Up and Speak Up for the Ladies, Man Up for the Young Men. Uh, He's doing unbelievable work in our city. And so all the money that comes in this month, we're going to give it directly to their ministry to say, we love you. We're proud of you. We love the work that you're doing. Please continue. So if you're not already signed up for that, I would just encourage you to do that. You can do that on the app. And just there's a drop down that says M25, and you can start giving regularly. Uh, We do that, and many of us do that in the room. And I'm thankful for you guys that give generously to that. So. If you would stand, if you're able, we're going to read God's word together. We are in Isaiah chapter 40. We're starting a new series this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the middle, uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, and the middle of Isaiah almost, Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, but we're just going to read verse one. After I read verse one, we're just going to have a seat, and this is a, a, a rhythm we practice here if you're new, just to be still for about 30 seconds to a minute, just to say, God, you need to speak to us. Uh, if you don't speak to us, we won't be able to hear correctly. And so uh, we're going to practice that. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Father, thanks that you are the true source of real comfort. And I pray as we start this series for the next nine weeks, you would speak to us, Spirit. You would encourage us, for some of us that are in dark places that need comfort, that you would remind us who you are. Just as we sang this morning, that you are a holy God, there is none like you. And help us be reminded of that truth. Give us the eyes to see it, The ears to hear, the hearts to be transformed into the likeness of your Son. We need you to speak to us, to give us the true comfort that only comes from you. We ask that you would do it. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. When was the last time you were disappointed with God? When was the last time you were disappointed with God? In 2010, there was a football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers were playing the Buffalo Bills, and these games, uh, this game specifically was, had playoff implications. If they won this game, if the Bills won, they would kind of go on to the postseason. If they lost, they were kind of on the edge, and uh, the Steelers were up, but the Bills were driving, They're driving down the field towards the end of the game. They're right near the end zone, and all of a sudden, the wide receiver breaks free, and he's wide open in the corner of the end zone. The pass gets thrown. It's a perfect ball to his hands, and he drops it. Game's over. Bills lose. This wide receiver goes into the locker room after the game, and in his disappointment, he takes to something that's somewhat new at the time in 2010 called Twitter, And he writes this tweet he says this i praise you 24 7 and this is how you do me you expect me to learn from this how i will never forget this ever thanks though i praise you 24 7 and this is how you do me you expect me to learn from this how i will never forget this ever and at the time, again, athletes were just kind of getting on Twitter, it was kind of getting big, and this is 2010, and it got massive feedback. People were like, you're blaming God for you dropping the pass? Like, and he responded a day later saying like, I'm not blaming God for dropping the pass, I'm venting my frustration. And if we're looking at this, I'm not trying to poke fun at these words, I'm trying to go, man, he seems to be honest. If many of us were honest and we're trying to walk with God, and what he's saying is like, man, God, I'm trying to obey you. All these other people aren't trying to obey you, and I'm trying to obey you, and these are the circumstances that I'm left with? And you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're upset. And You're going, God, I don't understand. And so maybe some of you wouldn't use the word disappointment with God. Maybe you would use the word confused or like, God, what, like, what are you doing? And if any of us, as we try to follow Jesus, if we look at the world around us and we look at our own worlds, our own hearts, and we go, man, we see brokenness, we see hurt, we see pain, and we go, man, this God is a good God that is all-powerful. How is this happening? We should feel confused at some of the things that are happening in our world, and we should scratch our head and go, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. In the midst of that disappointment or maybe that confusion with God... Where do you run to get comfort? In her 2022, last year, New York Times bestseller book, Dopamine Nation, is written by Anna Limbick. And it's it's not a a faith-based book, uh, but it's gotten a lot of attention in the last year. This is what she says at the beginning of her book, what this book is about. She goes, this book is about pleasure. It's also about pain. Most important, it's how to find the delicate balance between the two. And why, now more than ever, finding balance is essential. We're living in a time of unprecedented access to high reward, high dopamine stimuli. Drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting. The increased numbers, variety, and potency is staggering. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle, Delivering digital dopamine 24 7 for a wired generation. As such, we've all become vulnerable to compulsive overconsumption. And what she continues to say in the book is you need to be careful where you go with your discomfort. Because, man, we go to these things, we get these dopamine hits. Whether we're scrolling, or we're on Twitter, or we're on Instagram, that kind of numb our pain, they numb our disappointment, and they're not ultimately going to satisfy us. Now, she doesn't say that in a book because she's not somebody that follows Jesus, but I think it's true. Like, we go to those things, and they momentarily scratch that itch that we're feeling inside of us, but ultimately, we just want to scratch harder. And only true comfort is found in the person of Jesus and the story of the Bible, It's what we believe as Christians. And what we're going to find in this series as we walk through it, as we look at this first chapter, and this first chapter really kind of speaks on the entire next several chapters, um, chapter 40 through 55 is kind of one poetic phrase or idea, 40 all the way through 55, and what we're going to see in chapter 40 this morning is this is kind of the the prelude to the rest of the sections we're going to look at. And the big idea that we're going to come away with from the chapter this morning, hopefully, is that true comfort, true comfort is found in the true king. It's found in his presence, in his power, and in our posture. True comfort found in the true king, in his presence, in his power, and his posture. So if you don't already have a Bible open, please open one up uh, on your digital device or um, your hard copy to Isaiah chapter 40, and let's again get some context for what we're jumping into, because Isaiah is a, is a big book. If you've read the Bible before, or maybe this is the beginning of the new year, and you're going, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and you are just you go, and you go through Genesis, and you're like, yes, this is crazy, but yes, and then you get to Numbers and Leviticus, all right? And then you never get to Isaiah, and it's like, man, this thing is huge. This book is big, and it's confusing, the language is, it's poetic. It's, it's actually poetry, and I don't really understand poetry all the way. The book of Isaiah, just to give us some placement as we kind of jump into the chapter today and into our series, um, uh, it really breaks up into two sections, the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39 and then chapters 40 through the end of the book. And what's happening is God's people have been rescued multiple times by God before. If you know the story of the Bible, they're rescued out of slavery in Exodus. Maybe you did get to that part in your read through the Bible in a year. They they get saved through Moses and through God and and his people, and they come out of captivity. But because of their disobedience, they wander in the wilderness for a long time, and God forms and shapes them, and then eventually brings them into the promised land. And once they get into the promised land, they just don't obey God. They start to get power, and they start to abuse that power, and they forget, and they start to follow idols of the culture and worship them. They're kind of trying to worship God and worship the idols of the culture, and it's just not good. And in the midst of that, God sends prophets, and he sends people to correct them and go like, no, this isn't the way. This isn't the way you should be living. And eventually, God says, here's what I'm going to do. In the midst of loving you, I'm going to discipline you because you're not living to your full potential. And in the midst of that discipline, the first half of the book of Isaiah, he's saying, actually, I'm gonna bring a people, I'm gonna raise up a people that are not my people, Babylon, to come in and capture you and take you into exile as a form of discipline and love and care, which the people at the time were like, this this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't feel like love and care. And if you're a parent, you know discipline is, your children usually don't feel love and care in the midst of you disciplining them but you're trying to do it for their good. And so in the midst of this, um, uh, the Lord raises up Babylon, and uh, he puts his people into exile, the temple where God's presence dwelt. If we we looked at the last series a couple series ago, God's presence dwells in the temple. The temple gets thrown down. All the people get marched out of Jerusalem, out of their homeland, and they get taken to Babylon, and they're feeling really discouraged. They're feeling like, God, I'm confused, I'm disappointed, man Maybe it was our sin Like we just messed up too much And now you're just, it's over They never have the expectation of coming back Into Jerusalem at this point point. And it's a 70 year exile Where they're in Babylon And they're discouraged They're discouraged And what happens in this gap from Chapter 39 in Isaiah to chapter 40 Is God is going like, okay, the discipline The discipline's over It's over. I'm going to give you comfort. And what we're going to see in these chapters, it's it's the whole point of uh, 40 through 55 is that God is comforting his people. You feel disappointed. You feel discouraged. You feel abandoned. Let me comfort you with who I am and that I'm coming. The discipline is now over and I'm going to be with you once again. That's the context of the Old Testament passages that we're going to be looking at. So again, the whole point is that true comfort is found in the true king, in his presence and in his power and in his posture, verses 1 and 2, if you look down at your Bible. I'm, just for context, I'm, I'm going to read every one of these verses, these 31 verses. I'm not going to sit a ton in each single one. I'm going to offer some commentary, but as we go through these big chunks of text, we're not going to kind of go line by line every single bit. We're going to go, what is the text trying to do poetically? Because again, it is poetry, and how does that affect us today? So, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 40 say this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Again, the prophet is telling the people, like, you've been in exile for this long amount of time. I'm now bringing comfort. The discipline is now done. I am going to be with you again. The second thing we see is that this comfort is found in this true king. It's found in his presence. As we continue, verse 3 says this. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall hill Shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. If you're familiar with the Bible and familiar with the New Testament, this verse in three should ring true. And what uh, these passages are going to do all through 55 are there's going to be these rich foreshadowings to the real king, the person of Jesus. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, this language is, probably sounds familiar to you in verse 3 because this is what John the Baptist says, who's the forerunner for Jesus. He's saying, make way, a path for the true king that is going to come. How is the king in his presence going to come back with God's people in this moment? Verse 4, again, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain hill shall be made low. So what the prophet is doing is saying, man, you're, you're in a valley <laughs> And you feel like you can't get out of it. And what Jesus or or what God's presence is going to do and ultimately found in Jesus is that it's going to lift you out of that valley. He's going to bring you to a place where he is going to have his presence with you. And not only is he going to lift the people out of the valley, what is he going to do to the mountains? He's going to bring them low. The people that are proud, the people that are arrogant, the people that seem to have power in this culture, the nation of Babylon, I am going to bring them low, and what am I going to do? I'm going to make a direct path back to you, and my presence will be with you. Verse 5, he says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall be Shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken, and the voice says, Cry. And I say, What shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fade. And when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Again, what Isaiah is doing is he has a, a dual moment. He does this a couple times in the context of poetry. The idea of men being like grass has dual purposes. First, it's this idea that Israel, you are like grass. Like you will fade away. And all of us, as we age in our bodies, know the reality that, man, like we are, we're, this, this life is not going to last. Like we will eventually fade away. And Israel is vulnerable as they're captured but not only that they are vulnerable, the Babylonians are vulnerable. When God's presence comes and he speaks and his presence shows up, he can defeat your biggest enemies. It's not too much for him to do that when his presence shows up. What are we supposed to do with that presence? Verse 9, he says, Go up to a high mountain, Zion, herald of... Good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Israel, I know you're discouraged. I know you're feeling like there's no hope in the midst of this. We're never going to get back to Jerusalem. We feel like our enemies are just dominating us. But I'm coming. I'm going to make a way directly to you. My presence is going to come. And because of that, I want you to tell people that my presence is coming, that the king is coming back. You should tell people, my presence is going to be here. And he says in verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules with him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Again, there's a dual purpose here. that the, the poet is trying to help us see, one, that God, in, in this illustration, he has two arms. One arm is mighty. He can save. He is going to save you as his presence comes back to you. But then the other arm is like, he's gentle. He's like a shepherd. He's going to gather you up. And again, in the context of what the people would have been experiencing, the gods around and the Babylonian gods, man, they ruled with an iron fist, and it was just their power. But this God, this God of the Bible, not only does he have power over those gods, but he also loves and cares for you and will gather you up in the midst of your circumstances. True comfort is found in the presence of the true king. Not only is true comfort found in the presence of the true king, it's found in his power, It's found in his power, and as we look at verses 12 through 26, this is what this is about. It's going like, okay, I understand, uh, as God's people, I understand that that your presence is going to come back to me. I've forgotten what that's been like. We don't have a temple. I'm not sure I feel you. I feel like you've left me. I'm I'm discouraged. I don't know what to do, but you're saying your presence is going to be here. I believe that, but are you powerful enough to do anything about my circumstances? Like, I I understand your presence, but are you really powerful enough to defeat the Babylonians, to defeat the circumstances I am in? I'm not sure you're really able. And in the midst of that, you're kind of having this idea mentally, uh, this seesaw in your mind, like, I trust God, I don't trust God. I trust God, I don't trust God. And this isn't what we do today. Man, there's moments where we trust God, we trust the Bible to be true, but then we go, "Ah, I don't, ah, God, I don't really know if you can get me out of this. Because you haven't done it. I'm not sure, God, if you're powerful enough. If I'm really honest in my heart, I go, I don't know if you could do it. We were having a conversation years ago in our staff meeting, and we were talking about sports. Some of you guys know this, that we at the members meeting last week. We were talking about sports, and we are talking about baseball. And in baseball, if you're not aware, they have every player that goes to bat, they have a walk-up song. And the whole point of the walk-up song is baseball, in baseball, one of the hardest things to do in all of sports is to hit a moving ball. And so, man, that batter needs every form of confidence they can get. So as they walk up to the plate, they choose their own song, and it's like a pump-up song, and they're like, okay. Like, okay. Like, okay. like I'm ready. So as we're having this conversation in, our, in the midst of our staff meeting, and we're talking about, like, what would your walk-up song be? And what would your walk-up song be? We're all kind of sharing. And then it got to Summer Wallstrom, who is our children's director, and our admin, and we're going like, what would your walk-up song be? And she didn't even stop. She didn't even, because we were all surprised. Because was like, oh, you thought about this, number one. And then the song she chose, number two, was surprising to all of us. So she goes, this is my walk-up song. Go ahead. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of
1: death, I take a look
0: at it was about psalm 23 and we go summer that's not what that song is about but she's like that's 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 my walk-up song that's what would get me pumped that would like i would i would know like okay here we go and what verses 12 through 26 are going to do for us what they ought to do for us is this is god's walk-up song he's going listen you're you're, you're wondering, you're questioning if I am powerful enough to do what I'm saying I'm going to do, to make my presence known to you? You're wondering if I'm powerful enough? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And then let's just look at it. Let's read verses 12 through 26. This is what he says in the midst of it. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or mocked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth with a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance. Verse 12, he's saying, listen, do you know that 80% of the ocean is unexplored in our earth? 80% we haven't even seen, touched, understood, and God in the illustration is going like, I just hold it like this. I hold it like this. You don't think I'm powerful enough to help you in your... Like, I hold all of the oceans in my hand. He continues on, verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. If you burned all the trees in Lebanon, it wouldn't be enough. Nor are the beasts enough for a burnt offering. You took all that and you burned all the animals on all the fire, it still wouldn't be enough. Verse 15, I love that. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. I love to clean. I have problems. My wife knows when I come into a room and I start going like this and I'm straightening because I'm trying to control things, right? Like, I'm working through that. Um, I think there's good to clean, but uh, it also can be an obsession, right? It's my own problem. Jim makes fun of me all the time because I'm walking around picking stuff up all the time. I tried to pick something up off the floor in the flex space the other day, and it it wasn't anything on the floor. It was just the concrete, and it was right in front of Jim, and he just almost fell over laughing. (laughs) But all that to say, uh, I was dusting the other day, and... um, I went like this to see if there was dust on the table. Do I need to dust this or do I, is it just my compulsive problem? And I went like this and I saw there was dust and I was like, okay, I need to dust. When was the last time you went to the beach? You walked up and down the beach and you just looked at the power of the waves and you looked the stretch and sometimes you can go to beaches where you just see infinitely and you go like, how long can I walk on this shore? All of those beaches, all of the coastland, God goes like this. And it's on his finger. He goes, you don't think I'm powerful enough? Hold the water in my hand. I go like this to all the beaches and all the land. Like, I have power that you can't even understand. What else does it say as we continue? Verse 17 says, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness? Compare with him an idol. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot, seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Verse 18, he's saying, Listen, (laughs) there is no rival. To me, There is no rival to God, and again, in this culture, there were many gods that people would worship. Babylonia would have this God and that God and go, oh, it seems like he's, he, he gives us something. Maybe we should worship him. And God's saying, there's no one that compares to me. No one. And he goes, who, who are you, you going to compare to me? This thing you made out of gold, this thing you made out of wood, and he's going to double down in this language even next week. We're going to see, again, this is kind of uh, outlining what's going to happen in the next several chapters. He's going to go, this little thing that you made, you think it gives you power? doesn't give you power like i'm the only one that has the true power and again in the context of israel at this time they're going like well god you don't seem to be anywhere i'm tired of waiting for you there seems to be something about these people worshiping these things so i'm going to try out these things and god goes that's not where you're going to find life it's not going to give you the life that you need it's only found in me verse 21, as he continues his walk-up song of power. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who makes princes to nothing, and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness scarcely they are planted scarcely sown scarcely as their stem taken root in the earth and then he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble to whom then will you compare me that i should be like them says the holy one lift up your eyes and see who created these He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This God of the Bible that we serve, he calls the stars out by name. And they're all exactly where he wants them to be. He raises and sets the sun. He puts the air in and out of your lungs. He is the most powerful being. Nothing is even close to him. He has all power, and that is actually where we find our true comfort when we rely on that power rather than the idols we think will give us power. It's true. This king, in all his power, in all his might, what he's telling his people, I'm coming for you coming to rescue you. There's been this discipline you've been in for your own good. That discipline is ending, and I am making a straight path back to you to rescue you in all of my power. You think the Babylonians have more power than me? And again, we look at this, and we go, what's wrong with them? And then we look at our lives, and we go, what's wrong with us? Man, I fall prey to idols all the time. I think those things that will numb my feelings of disappointment and discouragement, I run to them, I chase them, they might scratch the itch for just a second and then it doesn't get any better, it just keeps getting worse. And God in the midst of going like, this is comfort, I'm gonna comfort you. True comfort is found in me, in my presence and in my power. And some of us go like, well, that's nice God, but you don't know what I'm going through man, you don't know the diagnosis, you don't know the relational damage that's happened, the shrapnel that keeps happening in that relationship, that conversation. God, you you just, I don't know if you're big enough to do it. And if we understand his power as Isaiah is suggesting for his people to understand, man, that'll put us in a different posture if we really believe it. Right, and you've seen this in movies, several movies, where um, the protagonist, the lead character, um, it's, it's usually towards the end of the movie, and there's some type of battle that's going to happen, and this character, the enemy, is definitely more powerful than the lead character. And at some point, there's a face-off, and the lead character goes up to the, to the, to the line to, to fight in some way, and the lead character knows that there's another army that the enemy doesn't know about, right? Right? And what the lead character is doing in that moment, he's kind of just stalling, right? And the enemy's going, dude, I'm about to crush you. You don't even seem nervous. You don't even seem worried. What is your problem? And the lead character is just kind of, what's he doing? He's buying time for his backup, the cavalry to come and kind of get the enemy from the other end. And what that character knows is he understands the power of the cavalry. He understands the power of the people that are going to come. He's not relying on his own power, he's relying on the army that has his back. And anytime in those movies, you never see the lead character go up and the enemy starts to kind of prod and poke, and the lead character doesn't just smack him and go, okay, well, I'm just going to do this myself. No, if he knows that the other army is coming, what does he do? He waits. He waits, and that's what Isaiah is telling to his people, that again, true comforts found in the true King, in his presence, in his power, and in our posture. Look down at verse 27. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is discarded by my God? He say, man, like God has just disregarded me. He is not listening to me. I feel like uh, my ways are hidden to him. Why do you say that? In verse 28, he responds, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You go, God, it looks like you've forgotten me. And Isaiah's going, he hasn't forgotten you. And some of us think, man, like, uh, I'm being disregarded by God. Like, I I just keep sinning. I keep messing up. And I'm just too, I'm damaged goods. God won't have me any longer. And this text is saying in verse 28, that's just not true. God doesn't grow weary of your messing up. Oh, that's hard for me to understand. Because I go, I screwed up again. I blew it again. I should know better. And I start beating myself up. And this verse is going like, he doesn't grow weary of that. He doesn't grow weary of that. What else does it say? He, his understanding is unsearchable. We can't understand. It doesn't make sense to us that he would give us grace and then give us grace again and then give us grace again in the midst of our sin. It doesn't make sense for us. And he's going, that's because you don't understand. My understanding is unsearchable. And in the midst of that, he continues in verse 29. He says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Are you tired Are you exhausted of whatever situation and circumstances you're dealing with and you just feel like, I can't do it anymore? That's the place where God shows up. And isn't that the place where God shows up in our own life if we decided to surrender our life to Jesus? We're tired of trying. We're trying to do the good thing and we're we're going like, our sin, I can't beat it, I can't defeat it and that's the exact place where we go, I can't do it anymore. I'm weary, I'm done and all I want to do is surrender to your cross and who you are and that's where you find life. The same is true with our circumstances. Instead of us trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this right? How do I jump in front of this? I'm tired of waiting for God. We're a culture that hates to wait. We hate waiting in everything in our life. Points to the opposite of that. We're tired of waiting for a package from Amazon in one day. We're tired of our phone not working. Like, we get tired because everything is so quick for us. And what this text is saying is like, listen, you find your trust in who the true king is, in his presence, in his power, and then what is our role? It's to wait. It's to wait. And waiting doesn't mean you just sit and don't do anything, what waiting means in the context of this verse and in our lives as we do our best to walk with God is that you don't try to do it on your own power. You don't try and do it on yourself. Again, you do, long enough, you do life long enough, man, you're going to grow weary and you're going to grow tired of trying to do things in your own power. And the posture of waiting is to live in confident expectation that he is going to take action on our behalf. Just like that movie scene, you don't get in front of it, you don't punch the guy that's the enemy that's gonna wipe you out. You go, no, 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 I'm waiting. I'm trusting, I'm waiting. I'm actively dependent on what God is going to do even though I don't make sense of it, even though my circumstances, I I don't understand them, I'm going to wait. And I'm gonna depend on the Lord and I'm not gonna jump ahead If you're like me, it's like, oh, I'll wait for like a day or a week. I'm like, okay, God, you're not showing up. I better do this on my own. You're tired of waiting, being single? Oh, I better figure this out on my own. You're tired of waiting to have, I better, we better figure this out on my own. Again, it's not about inaction. The waiting is not about inaction, but the waiting is about being dependent on the Spirit. God, what do you want me to do? How should I take my next step? And then you obey him in that, and he renews your strength. Man, we just need to be reminded of that in the context of where we are in life. Where do you go with your disappointment? Man, do you go after these things that are just going to kind of numb you? Or do you go, no, let me wait because I know God's presence and God's power are true. Even if it doesn't make sense to me. Even if all the people around me are like, you're dumb for waiting. You go, no, 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 I trust God. I'm going to trust God in it. And the beauty of where we are in the story now, we're not where Isaiah was because Jesus has come. His presence, if you are a follower of Jesus, His presence is with you, is in you, in the Spirit, that He can comfort you, He can convict you, He can point you in the right direction at any moment. You don't have to go to the temple, He's in you. And as you pray, as you wait in dependence, His power shows up. His power shows up in the cross as He dies and beats death and gives us power. And now our posture is waiting, is dependence. And when we take communion, what we're going to do here in just a minute, it's an act of waiting as we move towards the table. Not only in our posture of going, I believe that his presence and his power are where I find comfort, but we believe that one day we're going to sit at a table where there's no more death, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, and we wait in anticipation for that day. And we tell other people that there's power found in the risen Christ. Let's be those types of people. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us, remind us of your truth this morning as we respond to your word of comfort, that we would believe that you are Bigger than our circumstances, that in the midst of us needing comfort, you are right there to remind us that you are powerful and that your spirit is our presence with us because of what the son has done on the cross. Help it be true of us this morning as we respond in coming to your table where true comfort is found. Would it not just be something we do, but would you meet us in this time? We ask that you would do it. We pray it in your name. Amen.